Welcome to everyone's favorite podcast, It's Reclaimed Audio, with your hosts, Phil Pinsky, Bill Lutz, and Tim Sway. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Reclaimed Audio. This is episode 282 for April 7th, 2021. My name is Phil Pinsky, with me as always, Bill Lutz, and of course, Tim Sway. This week's top Patreon supporters are Lakeside Woodcrafter, Klingspore Woodworking Shop, Stu Morrison, The Godfather, Jimmy DeResta. I don't I was just thinking that, happy that birthday? right off the cuff, and I don't know how to play Happy Birthday on the Trumpet, but yeah, his birthday was just the other day, so. Yeah. Happy, happy Third birthday, Jimmy. Yesterday. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways. Uh, Scott Turner, Greg Mead, Chad Grossclaws, Shane Bronson, Jeff Shaw, Infinite Craftsman, LiquidRC.com, Jim Bashir's Paul Jackman, the boys over at Maybe I've Said Too Much, do they still do stuff? Creator Nader, Wesley Treat, Rob Ray, Darren Mattis, Isotunes, Tim Holliner, and Gangi and Pop Pop Makerspace. You, you know what the boys over at Maybe I Said Too Much still do? They still support this podcast. That's fair what enough. they still do. So that's enough. Yeah, fair enough. Fair that's enough. enough. Bill, do me a favor. Take that bell. Throw it against the wall, please. <laughs> Dude, I just said right before we started. I said, "Don't forget, mm. Phil," and I held it up. You know, because we agreed oh, that I would no, give Isotunes the bell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if we need to do that. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk, boys. What are we working on? Let's go to Bill Lutz. Give me something real. Give me something you put together with your hands this week. Um, I assembled a toolbox. Cool. Tim? Is that, come on. You, you got out more than that. No, he's going to give me, he's going to tell me he assembled his lunch today. He no, I assembled together an actual a a rolling routine. toolbox. I mean, I'm not making anything. So here's, here's, here's why I'm not making anything. I can give you a couple Let's reasons. One, it. Do it. I'm so short, short staffed that I'm working six and seven days a week. My wife is working six and seven days a week because of its tax season. Mm. Um, I have this thing called the job, a normal job, and as much as I would, and I'm trying to stay healthy, so I am. I'm still beating up on Bob, so I'm doing all these extra things. I just don't have a lot of time to be to be making like I would love to be. I would, uh-huh. and I'm all. Oh, and on top of that, I'm taking care of two houses: my house and my landlord's house. I'm actually taking care of two two pieces of property after work. So my weekends are filled with yard work and if Casey if if we have a day off together then we go do our we have to go do our grocery shopping and we do a bike run and and all those things so I am making the best that I can with my life is what I'm making Phil but I did assemble a a rolling toolbox uh, at at work at work for a tenant for a tenant at At his jail 90 year old dude buys a goes to Harbor Freight and buys the biggest freaking toolbox he can and I don't know why, because he's got like two screwdrivers and an air pump. That's about it. But it anyway, looks good in that thing though. Oh, and there's a but the bright got, green. You one. got a tipperoo for that, right? Um, that doesn't sound like the job. That sounds like extracurricular work. Yeah, for sure, that's extracurricular. Yeah, it, well, I mean, you know, the city paid for it, but that's okay. We take care. It's customer service. It's customer service. 
Um, so no so tip, the tip would be, I don't usually say this very often, but the tip would be, you don't have to look at them constantly, but have the destructions right next to you while assembling. No, you, we meant if you, cash tip from the 90-year-old I mean, guy like, that from the, hoodwinked yeah. the city into paying oh, what, you. Oh, a tip. Oh, I thought you meant like, uh, because you know, what we do now is so much involving tips that I was, no, uh, I did not get a tip. No gratuity. I did not get a gratuity. I didn't give you nothing. He didn't pull and out. A, put this he, thing together for him. He didn't pull any onions off his belt. Give him the. Here's the th- here's the thing though. This is the this is the gratuity I'm going to get from him. He's probably going to leave me alone. Because. No, I guess he won't. I might have screwed up. I was going to know that you'll do for anything him. for him and doesn't have to pay yeah, you. Yeah, for this, free. Oh no, this is terrible. I made a huge huh. mistake. I got to go. <laughs> go take it okay. apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah imagine uh, you show up listen i did this was a mistake i'm sorry i shouldn't yeah. have done this and you take it apart piece by piece and you put it back in the box that would be <laughs> wrapped up just the icing on the and onion. i have to pull the box yeah. out of the recycle bin oh, yeah. tape it back together <laughs> so so um but again seriously that tip uh when, when you're working on something that has this many nuts and bolts and screws and everything have the destruction book near you and use it to to reference. You don't have to read each page or nothing, mm. especially unless you're first time you ever put something together in your life. But for the most part, people say, oh, I don't need the destructions. You do need them. You just don't need to look at them. Have you them there. You don't have to read every word. But, yeah, just sometimes just looking at the picture to see which way is up, you know. It's, I mean, so here's here's usually what happens. The biggest thing that happens is you'll have, uh, you'll have 12 quarter-inch, quarter-twenty bolts, and you'll have six half inch quarter 20 bolts you'll yeah, end exactly. up using yeah yeah and you'll use the use six the ones the wrong the place. six yeah. for the, in the wrong place which it works just fine but now you need the longer ones and you don't have them because you put them on that and that talks that's about taking apart everything you've yeah. just done to get those I've six been bolts there. back yep you know what what i do almost every time i put something together where i don't look carefully enough is that there'll be one piece that the front looks the same as the back and the back looks the same as the front and looks the same up as it yes. does down but one of those holes is in a slightly different spot if it's upside yeah. down. Yes. You know, and then you end up taking the whole thing too. apart. I do, like, I do that with Lego. We have so much in I do common, that guys. Huh. There's a topic in this somewhere. <laughs> it's called Amateur yeah. Hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do that next week. <laughs> we could do yeah, Amateur Hour Part Duh next week and just talk about yeah, it. Exactly. All right. I, I filled up plenty of space. Phil, do you want to go or do you want Tim to go? If Tim goes for 45 minutes, if you go... I'm okay. No, I want to keep pretending like I did something. So, Tim, you go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm working on guitars. Um, I'm, I think I just finalized a deal for another large guinea pig tank order. Um, mm. um, finishing up some guitars I've been working on. I'm starting a couple new ones. Um, I'm doing some acoustic stuff, which I need to. I want to learn more about doing and doing better. And I have some, I have some ideas that actually kind of ties into the topic about amateur hour. I have some ideas to try some sort of non-traditional things. Like uh, I, I get these comments on my uh, guitar bills sometimes from people that are like, like you know. I don't know what you're doing, but it seems to have worked from like people that like build guitars, <laughs> you know, or like study them and stuff. Um, but you know, so I got a couple things I'm excited to try, and I wanted to tell this quick little story um, that might be useful to some of you to save you and Mike over at Klingspor <laughs> woodworking shop a lot of time. That a couple weeks ago I ordered uh, a whole bunch of sandpaper because you know I was like, up oh, time to stock up, and I try to support the people that support us, so I ordered from Klingspor. And plus, they make really good sandpaper. Um, 
and you know i just was stocking up the shop you know i was like okay i kind of look around i need some more flat sheets of this i need some of the you know the fine stuff for this i need it and one of the things i needed was uh, 220 grit discs for my five inch sander you know mm-hmm. and so i order them and uh and they come in and I'm, I'm kind of putting it all away and i open the box because i have this little rack that i put them on so i take them out of the box and put them in the rack and as i'm pulling them out um i see the a number 150 and i was like did i order 150 by mistake did I need to order 220? And so I, I look in the box, it says 220, and I'm looking inside, and it says 150 all over these pieces of the back of the sandpaper. So then I, I look at another one, and it's, there's no numbers. That happens sometimes, you know. Then I look at another one, it says 220. And then I start going through So I'm like, this is like a mixed-up box. And so I, I email Klingspor, and it actually turned out to be Mike I ended up talking to. Um, <laughs> right away, I just like, hey, just so you know, like, like I, got a, I order a box of 220, and there's like it's like half 150. It's like kind of weird, and... And then, like, uh, I sent him some pictures. And then uh, there ended up being, a, I ended up, like, losing the email. And then I got back to it a week later. I was like, hey, I'm still out of 220. <laughs> like, I need to figure out what to do here. So I ended up writing back and forth with Mike. And he's like, send me some pictures of it. So I sent him pictures of the back. And then I started digging in and sorting it. And there's, like, four different looking things. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, Mike, I think you got, you got a, a sample pack. I'm like, you got a really big problem here, Mike. Like, this is this is a problem, you know, like, I'm concerned. He's like, do me a favor and send me a picture of the front. Like, you know, as close as you can get it in focus. And so I do. And he writes back, he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. And here's where it gets interesting. Because Klingspor is, the sandpaper is made in Germany. Um, and they, 220 grit sandpaper, I'm guessing it has to do with the metric equivalent is like 150 like centimeters. Because it's like based, based on per inch, right? Like 220 grit is 220 bumps per inch or whatever. But so like... In in German, like they'll actually have a different number associated to it, which gets That'd be one fifty per centimeter. I guess I'm not quite sure. I understand why, but Mike was like, "Oh, it's all two twenty. He's like, "This is a problem. Like that sometimes they cut it from these other sheets of these belts, um, and it's it's confusing for us." But but he's like, "So the grit was right, the paper was wrong." Right. Well, the paper was right in the German, labeling. but it wasn't right in English. So that's like something that that Klingspor is working on addressing. So American idiots like me. Don't get confused because I was like touching no, no, no. it too. I have never heard of that. I live in a metric country. I have never heard of that. I, it was it was super interesting, but um, it just that just sounds like a, a shipping problem, right? They right. Just, it was just they, a, sent, they cut it from they the wrong America per square stuff. inch or per square centimeter. Grit is the size of the particulate. I don't think that's true. I think it's the amount of particulate in. I mean, how do you get the size? No, I think Phil's right because you think about it. Sixty grit is gigantic grits. Yeah, sixty yeah. bumps per inch. Yeah. No, no, and no, I no. Used to be in the size of the grit. Business. I can tell you, grit has to do with the size of the particulate, not about the coverage on the paper. Because you can have horrible paper that's got bad coverage, but the particulate is the right size. Okay, well, does, I, does, Mike didn't say anything about the metric system. I inferred that. He said that in Germany they uh, call it. Oh, here we go. Uh, okay, they use the wrong Amateur paper. Hour. That's the bottom line. No, yeah. he was he was saying in Germany what they call 150 is the same as what we call 220. So I inferred. That is because probably some kind of weird uh, metric conversion. Germans are rougher than we are. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, no, because he was like he was like telling me he's like and you know and, and he was right. I like I couldn't feel. I couldn't I feel the difference. He gave you the old Klingspor shtick, my friend. <laughs> but grit is grit. My, so but, did he send you some more two twenty or is he making? That's you what use I want to know. No, he it's yeah. it's all two twenty. And so my point is is that don't trust mm-hmm. if you order. This is my story. If you order sandpaper from Klingspor, don't trust the paper. Trust Mike. <laughs> so this is the part about supporting the the companies that yeah, support yeah. us. Don't trust Klingspor. Billion Clingspor. dollar company. Call Mike. <laughs> Just call right. Mike. 
No, no, because he was like he apologized for it and he said that that was like it's a mistake. I guess has happened before where they like cut the wrong papers. I, I don't know, but so anyways, it, people might order sandpaper from Clicksport. It might have the wrong number on some of the sheets, but so if it's the, all in that here's box. Here's what I'm right. guessing: when when you're at the sandpaper factory, and I've never been to one, so I'm since you got to just assume the metric system, I'm going to assume something that happened here. Mm. You have paper that you adhere the grit to. And the back of that paper is labeled with the grit size. Somebody screwed up and they put a 150 grit paper on yep. no, 220 grit. That's not the way Mike explained it. Don't make Particularly. me pull it. I could pull the email out. That's not the way he explained it. He was saying that they use, it, it was like he said something about cutting it from belts. Like sometimes here, they. Here, 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 here. The grit of sandpapers is a rating of the size of abrasive materials on the sandpaper. The higher grit number is equivalent to a finer abrasive, which creates smoother surface. Yada, yada. How do you measure that grit? If it's smaller than an inch, you can't measure it as ten inches. You measure it as no, 150 if, if per you inch. have one grit of what? if you have one grit, Tim, it depends upon the size of that grit. A sixty grit piece of grit 60 is going to be the size sixty huh? watts. Sixty one hundredths of an no, inch. No, not sixty what <laughs> it's is it it's a, a sixty flugels? I mean what is it? It's a, <laughs> it has to be a, I believe it's, it's a rating. It's a no, rating it's, by the size. It's a rating by the size. Microns? Yeah, what no, about it, ohms? It's it, it, it's, is it microns? Uh, micrometers, actually. Micrometers. Micrometers. There you go. So it's metric. Yeah. <laughs> Everything precise is metric. Well, you were going to read us the email of what Mike actually said, because I have a hunch you read two words and then you inferred everything else. God, i got to look this up now. Hang on. Uh... I, ha I, I can send you the link from Granger, but like this, they have a whole table on it. Oh yeah, they have. I think he misunderstood what Mike said. Okay, so and Mike Mike said, "Let me see. We are." Uh, okay. So here's sorry. Uh, could you take? Okay, so Mike writes. Okay, um, so this is this happens when you take belt material and offer it in disc form. The print on the back doesn't always match up with the grit number. The 150 you see on the back is actually the manufacturing date. These products should have a P150 if they were 150 grit discs. The P is a European grit measurement. Similar to uh. the P220 on the other discs. It's confusing and we have asked Germany to place the grit in on a diagonal figure across the back of the material, but as you can see, they stay true to their roots. <laughs> um, so you're saying it's a manufacturing date? So with uh, that's what he's saying, but there are different. So so the difference is now that I'm reading it, there's the CAMI, which is the Coated Abrasives Manufacturing Institute, which is going to be North American. And then there is the FEPA, which is the Federation of European Producers of Abrasives. And there is a difference in what they call certain things. But 150, 180 and 220 are exactly the same thing, except that there's a P in front of it on the European one. Hmm. So there's no metric imperial difference so it's, here. It's, it's labeled P. wrong is all yeah. it is. It's labeled wrong. Well, but he's saying... Bingo was his name Oh, No, he's saying it's not labeled wrong. It's labeled confusing that they put this... The 150 I saw doesn't have a P in front of it. It's a date reference. But so they're saying they need to make... But have a P in front of it, it would still be what a 150. What of the week is 150? Come I, on. I have, it could be 150. I don't know what it is. But he's saying that that was a date. And so what he's saying is they, they need to make a date number that's not confusing if it, the date happens to coincide you know with. what happened you know what i know what happened i mike, know exactly what happened too but you tell me yeah you know, yeah mike actually doesn't know everything i thought he did yeah. but apparently mike's yeah. not that bright <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far i think well he's i mean sometimes, he's like 
okay, check it out. A mag light back in the day, right? The big cop size mag light that took like four yeah, D cell yeah. batteries. It was like eighty lumens. It was hella bright for in the day. And I think Mike's like an old cop's mag light. But I have this little flashlight right here. This is fifteen hundred lumens, and it's the size of a wait. Is it fifteen hundred or P fifteen hundred? Yeah, I think P1500. <laughs> well, if it was in Europe, it European. would be P1500. It's the same lumens. It's just P stands for the Pacific North Rim of the world where the Europeans live. Yeah. No, but yeah. So, so when I read that was some kind of internal coding number, but the way it's written, it looks like it's smaller than the 220s that I was seeing. But so what he's saying is they need to come up with a better way of, of putting these these internal numbers on so they don't get confused with grits mm. on the occasions where All the right, numbers I, might I know be who can handle this. Marcus, if you're listening, buddy, can you take care of this? Uh, I'm, <laughs> go I, go I'm, to the Clinks 4 factory. I'll tell you what happened. Change the fonts on hey, the dates. You ever have an annoying customer that you just want them to go away, and then you switch into a funny accent to explain things? That's what happened here. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, Tim. Yes, exactly what happened. It was a manufacturing date code. Oh, hello? Other phone ringing. Bye, Tim. Got to go. Well, but, you know, like I've bought other sandpaper from other people, and there are other numbers on the back. Like that's common. Like, you know, serial numbers or whatever but they're not yes. th- but they're, you, they're always pretty obvious to tell that it's not the grit and on this particular yeah. one that was obviously well it sounds like Mike is saying mistake. the 150 doesn't represent the grit at all it just happens to be a, yeah. a number of something else they didn't yeah. actually put the grit number right. on so, the back so of the, the sheets that say 220 yeah. are two, all of them are 220 but just some of them the 220 now, doesn't appear what which is another to problem address this? well with all sandpaper that's a problem in my opinion because like you get an 8.5 by sheet of, of sandpaper right eight and a half by 11 sheet you, you cut it into six squares that you're going to use for your sanding blocks or whatever and like three of them have a number on them and three of them don't and then you're like stuck mm-hmm. trying to guess which one it was you have to write it on your back and so that's something i can that, usually tell i can usually I can tell, tell the grits, grits by looking at it but well you can so tim you've yeah. got the magic machine you've got the cnc i tell you where it's hard to tell is when you're doing like in your 400 600 800 1200 1500 2000 right like i, I, I 1200 yeah, 1500 right, right. hard to tell apart. so you know. But check it out, dude. You've got the magic CNC machine. Why don't you make a series of small little stamps with those numbers on it, a little rubber stamp with the ink pad, and then when you do that, you can just stamp it on the back so you can see each one. I mean, I'm being serious. Well, no, add that to I the... I got a better one. Add that Tim, to, you have a, sh- a magic Sharpie? That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Add that to the, the tips uh, section is that yeah. if, you ri- if you're cutting up your sandpaper right on the back of it right away before it gets mixed in the pile. Tip of a Sharpie, yeah. You know, I just I thought that, you know, you'd have the opportunity to tell us about how you made all these stamps next week but that's yeah, okay no, that's, Use a sharpie. that's I don't care. definitely not how i want to spend my time making stamps and say numbers like 150 220 so. oh yeah you wouldn't feel that way if they were called guitar stamps or guinea pig stamps I've, I've, in fact you I made like, some guinea pig stamps didn't you oh, i've made i've made a lot of stamps i use my laser form i love making stamps but not that particular stamp um so that's my that's my stupid sandpaper story <laughs> i i hope someone learned something Long story short, I bought some sandpaper. And I didn't use it for two weeks because I thought it was the wrong sandpaper. <laughs> oh, my God. Too funny. It was just one of those um, things like, I never so even... And it, like, sure enough, I started looking at it. I'm like, yeah, these are exactly the same. But I didn't. I just looked at the back, and I was like, oh, they messed up. I put it... So I just forgot about it. Then, it, like, a week went by, you know, and it's just one of those things. Like, I never even actually, like, investigated, and I felt you pretty You should have gone last because that ties into our topic. It does. It does. <laughs> so a bunch of amateurs. Yeah. Amateur hour. Uh, what did I do? I did some stuff. Okay, so I did a massive garage cleanup. Mm, um, nice. And we had all kinds of stuff in there that had to do with winter and the rinks and kits. And, you know, and I, and I took down my rink. So that meant, uh, well, basically 
taking down. It spent three hours to take it down. About three or four hundred screws had to come out, and uh, and you know I really wished that I could have kept the plywood. I would have used it, but it all was soaking wet and got delaminated. Mm. So it was just all coming apart. And it was warped. It was it had to Sounds go. Sounds like you got a bunch of veneer now. <laughs> yeah, veneer. Yeah, it's horrible. Construction grade, horrible, ugly, three eighths inch veneer. Yeah, it's awful. I would have loved to have used it, but what I are, kept all the two by fours because they were good. Yeah. So the two by fours are what's holding the outside of the ring together. No, so they have these plastic brackets that they're reusable, and you screw them into the two by fours that act as the top rail, and then the plywood acts as the face, so the boards of the rink. So and the, then the, the plastic the, gets pounded into the ground with with camping stakes. So plywood and two by four makes up the side of the rinks. Two by four makes the top, and plywood makes the the side. Okay. And then then the plastic is the let's say a V an inverted V support, and then that gets pounded into the ground with like I said camping stakes. That's, that's it the just sits the on part. the ground itself. The plastic the liner sits on the ground. Yes. And okay. so what, what What makes the seam there? Does the canvas, does the liner come up the bank to keep... Yeah, so, so what What you'll do is before you put the plywood in, you put the liner on. Right. And so and so that's up and over, and then you'd staple that to the 2x4, gotcha. which is the handrail, gotcha. and then you'd put in the plywood. Yeah. So it's bare plywood that you're shooting the puck against, mm-hmm. but the liner sort of goes up and... But you could paint it, it and make it look all pretty if you wanted and put logos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use a different kit. I gave this kit away. I'm going to use a different kit next year, one that I'm this, – this kit that I took down myself was one of the four first prototypes basically that right, I did. Right. And I realized that I hate it, so I sourced a different one, um, and that's what I did for whatever, my 60 clients. And, uh, and so I much prefer that kit both from ease of use, from material use. Like there's no two-by-fours for this other kit. It's only three-quarter-inch plywood. And the three-quarter inch plywood, because I've already taken down about five or six of them for clients, it lasts, right? Yeah. Like it actually, yeah. it's much stronger. Um, right. This The three-eighths inch just came apart like nothing. And if you get exterior and grade so, plywood, the, the three-quarter exterior grade plywood should should be able to get two seasons easily, you know? The thing with the other kit is that it works differently. It's um, the, the liner goes over the wood so uh, it protects it yeah. all year it, it protects it all winter long my plywood was Sitting exposed to the elements yeah. and water and ice yeah. and sun and all this stuff so it was finito but uh but the other kit the liner protects it and then you could if you wanted to which i, I didn't do it for people but i might is you can take like coroplast sheets mm-hmm. and cut them into the right size and then put that and then sort of screw that on top of the wooden boards so you've got protection for the liner and to bounce the puck off it and also your plywood is protected for the following year, which is a much, much better system. Uh, so I did that. Um, so we have got this wooden play set that uh, looks like a clubhouse with some swings and slide and whatever. And it's basically right behind where the net was all winter. And so this thing got the, the snot kicked out of it. All these, <laughs> the boards got, well, the board, the clubhouse is made out of wood. And they've got boards that go across, and a lot of them were smashed from the puck. Mm. And so I spent some time just cutting up and, and making it. It's actually shiplap, so I had to do the grooves in it and replacing all those. So I did a bunch of those, and I put the finish on that door handle that I talked about last week. So that's nice. about ready to go and off my mind. Uh, I'm trying to think if I did anything else. I think that's about – oh, have you seen these KiwiCo kits? Do you know what I'm talking about? The kid They're, craft ones? 
Yeah, so they're like these um these one of these membership boxes and every month they come with like a science experiment or some kind of a thing for kids to do. So one of them, the one that my daughter got this week, got it for my daughter. We got it was one of these um you build it out and it's basically a grabber claw. Right? So they call it an arcade machine, but it's not an arcade machine. That's just a cool word for it because mm. they think of like one of those things where you put in a dollar and you move the joystick and it comes down and grabs a bear or something. Mm. But instead, this is just basically an arm that lets you pick up trash, I guess, if you wanted to. Um, so my daughter, we built it out for her and it was fun. We had followed the instructions. It was great. And then my boys were like, uh, we want one too. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't see any more parts in the box, boys. Sorry. So what I did was is I took hers apart and then, because it's all made out of laser cut, like eighth inch and quarter inch plywood, mm. I just traced all the parts and just made two more with the bandsaw. And so that was, so I got all my kids running around with these little grabbers. But that could be that a tip segment. With trace out parts? Well, let's create more kits out of your one kit. Yeah, so it was fun. I mean, obviously mine weren't as nice as the laser cut ones, but they were, they certainly did the job and... Uh, and that was fun. It was fun sort of doing it and also like I involved my eldest with it also. So he got to see what it took to basically make something um, from something else, like reverse engineering it and then making it again. And we had to figure out the hardware, right? Because this thing came with all these little plastic nuts and bolts. So now we had to use metal nuts and bolts. Mm. So we had to figure out how to do that and like finding them out of all the, the scraps that I have and stuff. So it was a cool exercise. It was fun. But I think they're, they're great kits because they um, – I don't know. They make it really easy to follow along, and my daughter was super into it, so I like that. Mm, that's uh, cool. But but horrible marketing. It's not an arcade. It's a it's a grabber claw. Let's call it an arcade. <laughs> you know, speaking uh, of uh, okay. tips, Phil. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Speaking of great segue. Great segue. Speaking of tips, uh, I want to bring up this week's. Uh, sponsor of our weekly tip segment, and that, of course, is Isotunes. So Isotunes is a family-run company, and um, we love them both as a company and for the products they make. I specifically love uh, – they make hearing protection, obviously. And so the hearing protection model that I use are called the Lynx, the Isotunes Lynx, and they're over-ear cans. They're Bluetooth, so you can listen to music or podcasts or whatever you want, but I say it week in, week out, and this is the God's honest truth. What I use it for is to make sure – that I'm not missing any phone calls and I'm not missing any texts so that I know when I'm in the garage, if I don't hear any pings or pongs or whatever in my ears, I know I'm good to stay in there. I'm good to chill out. You know, don't rush. Don't don't stress. No one's trying to reach me. I'm good. And if there is an, an issue, I'll hear the beep. I can stop what I'm doing safely and I can look at my phone. Oh, okay. They just want to know my apple pie recipe and I can, you know, continue working. Um, so that's... For me, it's a lot of peace of mind. And I also like that they're really good hearing protection. I think as we sort of get older, we realize how critical all of these things are and that we are not, uh, you know, bulletproof and that we've got to protect our hearing, we've got to protect our bodies, we've got to protect our eyes, all of these things. And it's, uh, I think it's one that gets left behind. We always wear safety glasses, but a lot of the times we forget to put on hearing protection and it's such an important one. And, uh, and I think these, this product addresses it so well. Yeah, I I have to concur. Well, all right then. Look at that Good unanimity concurrent. in our in a lot of I'm wearing them right now. I should have concurred. Um, okay, and because we love the product so much, because we love the company so much, uh, we partnered with them. They're our weekly tip um, sponsor. But the other thing is, is for another four weeks, 
We are accepting tips for this tip segment, either uh, by email or you can send us a voice note through email, and you will get entered into a draw to win a pair of Isotunes. And you can always check out what they have in their lineup, isotunes.com slash reclaimed audio. And you go to that landing page, you will see our coupon code, which is reclaimed 10 and you get $10 off of a set. And that you know equals anywhere between 10 and 15 or even 18% off. So it's a, it's a great deal. And even more importantly than the deal, you're supporting the companies that support your content creators. And, Even and the if they label itself. those things wrong, it doesn't matter. That's you, right, because you, they are P-isotunes. What? <laughs> Even if they say they're hearing damagers, what they mean to say is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, hearing protectors. It's just, it's a European standard. I, they, it's metric. Yeah. It's metric, yeah. <laughs> metric haters. Um, but yeah, so, you know, um, support the companies that support the stuff you like to listen to and you know and then and then we get to stay on the air so that's uh, that's always a great thing so th- we have a couple tips uh from listeners that are now officially entered into this competition and the first one is from speaking of metric uh <laughs> from our friend uh richard martin uh who lives in england and has been in my kitchen he's visited in america a few years back and uh richard wrote if you're wondering about getting some isotunes and you live here in the UK, then you can still get them, and the reclaimed 10 discount code still works. It knocks $10 off, not 10 pounds, but it still works even here in the UK, which is really, really Eastern Connecticut, basically. Just Google Isotunes UK for the UK site, and they are really good gear, too. From Richard in sunny Sheffield, very, very Eastern Connecticut. So he's correct. That's kind of really that. That's that's big news. That, I mean, seriously, because we wondered about this, and now that we know that they actually are all over the world, we need to say correct. that. I, I yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. That's the tunes. Way to go! So you can get them. And you know, Sheffield is where uh, where they made all the Bailey planes, and they still made all the chisels, like the marples. It's uh, quite the heritage that that spot of the world. Yes, great tooling. Yeah, it's uh, it's Eastern Connecticut. Yeah, it's great. Eastern Connecticut. <laughs> way Eastern. Yeah. Way. Well, I mean, because yeah. Connecticut's in New England, you know, and then that's just, England is just an extension of New England. Old England, right. Yeah, right. The other England. Jolly old. Yeah, yeah the other England, yeah. Uh, and we have one more tip from uh, Noah Coleman. Love the show. I've been listening for years. My tip is for making a straight line around a tube for cutting, especially if the tube is bendy or in a place where you can't lay it down flat. You can put a hose clamp on the tube and use that as a straight edge to mark all the way around or as a guide for the saw if you're careful. Keep up the good work. And that is a great tip. You know what? That is such a fantastic, huh. yep. simple, amazing tip. Huh. One of those, why didn't I think of it, you know? Yep. I mean, mm. seriously, a hose clamp is, oh my gosh, that that is, can we just cheat and give him, make him the winner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. definitely. Let's do that. <laughs> Now, if he wins, we're going to be accused of cheating. <laughs> you ruined it for everyone. Well, now, now we can't let him win. Yeah, now so. he has to lose. Sorry, buddy. Great yeah, tip. But but now he has lost. something. He, oh no! Thank Bill for That's that. Terrible. One. <laughs> well, it, seriously though, uh, that is such an amazing tip because mm. you, it can be used for anything too. Because you can connect a lot of hose clamps if you have a large diameter pipe. Um, I have reclaimed gigantic. You know those big blue water pipes that like you know from construction sites that are like 24 inch diameter i mean the gigantic ones i've reclaimed those before and tried to cut them up nice and straight made flower pots and stuff out of them um trying to use masking tape or something to to draw a straight no, edge never, around it never get a straight edge yeah. pipe clamp hmm. pipe clamp 
Mm-hmm. That's all you got to do. It's so simple. Or a hose clamp, I mean. Hose clamp. Uh, hose clamps come pretty big, but uh, again, you can attach. You can you know you can them. daisy chain those hose clamps yeah, and make a gigantic one. This is genius. I love it. I mm. love it. Thank you. I think by the time you get to that, 20- Bill, do you like the tip at all, or <laughs> do you like it? That was a good one. I think by the time you get to that 24-inch around, that's... But, I mean, I guess... Because you can get those hose clamps in, what, like 10, 12 inches, right? I mean, they make oh, them yeah. that big. So, yeah, you just... Well, yeah, you know, there's even different, if you do get them in 6 inches, but, they're still uh, longer than that's 6 a, inches. But that's a ton to put together. You know what I mean? But if you no, got a four, couple 12 no, inches, it's, it's like it's, three, it's pipe, not that many, three but, hose clamps. But think oh. about this. So, let's take it a step further. Uh, you can use um, water heater strap, right? Yeah. What's that? A water heater strap is... you can use a woodworking band clamp, by the way. A woodworking oh, yeah. band clamp. I'm just right. saying, there's so many different things that you can do to, to make a straight line yeah. out of out of a, on on a pipe. Well, I was thinking that too yeah. about like if you were to grab like a bungee cord or something like that. But there's still a chance for it being wrong. You'll be more accurate, but there's still a chance for it being wrong. Whereas the the metal, you know, what you need is you need you need for it to be flat. Right, right, right. Because you, you could do twist. that with yeah, yeah. So yeah. one you can of twist the, it tight, <laughs> but it's not going to sit flat. Right. One of the things I used to do before this idea, which I will use from now on, is I would tie a string around it. Yeah. Right. Make sure it looks just about as perfect as I can, and then you take a spray paint real quick and just. And then when you take the string back off, mm-hmm. now you've got right. a, a line drawn on there. But the hose clamp is just so easy. And oh, mm. anyway. you could do the same thing with the hose clamp. It's just that the hose clamp guarantees that it's straight because it lies flat. Mm. Right. Well, with the hose clamp, you just draw, uh, take a sharpie, a and then yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. because it's yeah. not moving. It's a perfectly flat. Well, like you saying, genius of it. If you're if you're real comfortable with your angle grinder, you can just go right around with that thing and just leave the clamp on and use it as a guide. He was, right. you know, but you got to be careful. Well, if you're using like a porta band, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be yeah, afraid yeah, yeah. to use a porta band to just yeah, cut nice right through. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. Amazing. Yeah. So you're using a porta band for your 24 inch diameter hose, though. Or no, no, that thing was <laughs> chainsaw. It's a big porta band. Yeah, <laughs> I would love That's to have, have a the reciprocating saw throat, just screw everything up. Thirty-inch throat yeah. portable bandsaw. <laughs> That's a big. One. I'll take my I'll take That's my fourteen-inch craftsman and lie it on its side. <laughs> okay, T.S. Wandel's done that. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, he probably has. <laughs> so, it, um, it, yes. Um, I was going to say, so we're done with that thing, but I would also, we got some other, just some interaction with uh, somebody else. I thought it would be fun to just kind of bring that. I just thought it was a neat idea. Maybe we can uh, get some, some uh, interaction with our, our, uh, our audience. Um, Dean Koss wrote to us and this is, we're always telling people, Hey, don't, don't be afraid to write to us, uh, message us, whatever, if you have questions or ideas or whatever. So this guy writes, he's basically, uh, long story short, he had a compound miter saw, right, where you can pull it mm. in and out and go up and down, and the motor burned mm-hmm. out. So he's like, hey, guys, what can I do with this? You know, Instead of, like, I don't want to repair it, but what can I use this mechanism for? And, of course, you know, Tim, well, I think it'd be funny to tie a saw blade to it and just move it back and forth. Because it would uh, be. Bless you, Tim. Yeah, that would exactly be exactly how would he be. sounds. That's yeah, so you funny. could cut um, straight lines through anything round with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But anyway, if anybody has an idea of what you yes. could do with that, right? Like uh, some kind of a, I don't know, something hose clamp and angle an grinder piece, to it. A, maybe make it a miniature chop saw. Use an angle grinder for metal. That could be something, mm. right? Because I turned an angle grinder into a bench grinder. Um, yeah. And showed people how to do that. Maybe using that to attach an angle grinder to it would turn it into like a mini chop saw. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. practical that like would be. Like a metal saw. Yeah. yeah so you've yeah. got a seven inch angle grinder on there, you know? 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. just thought I'd throw that out there. And thank you, Dean, for interacting. We love hearing from everybody. And um, Yeah, and if anybody has any ideas well. or experience with um, repurposing a broken uh, compound sliding miter saw, uh, we're all ears. And you can, you can email to us and we'll relay the information. Yeah, just run it past our lawyer. That's at counsel yeah. <laughs> at timsway.net. <laughs> I would love it if we got slammed. Do you ever check it. that email? We could have a whole bunch of tips in there, by the way. Uh, I think it just comes to my email. I don't know. So, oh, way to ruin the gag, Tim. <laughs> oh, I mean my lawyers. I haven't called. I haven't talked to my lawyer in yeah. months. Oh yeah, my god! Exactly. Do we cheat him and how? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, All right. Speaking of amateurs, <laughs> do you know any? Can we get them on the podcast? Uh, the, the 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 topic idea this week is amateur hour. But it's not usually when people say amateur hour, it's like an insult. Um, it's like, oh, it's yeah, the amateur sure hour. Here come the people that don't know what they're doing. But uh, what I think what we want to do is celebrate the amateur and 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 really uh, like rev- revel in what amateurs can do that professionals can't. And it was I was inspired by a podcast I heard today that got me thinking about it. But I kind of realized that many of us, you know, my, even though I do this for a living, I still kind of consider myself an amateur. Um, and one of the things about being an amateur is that I don't know how the date is applied to sandpaper made in Germany. Mm. But what that means I think is... you've got the business on that one. Um, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> but you know what? I, we, what I like about not knowing stuff sometimes is that like, we, we get to learn all these things. Whereas like, so suppose I, like, I went to like woodworking school and, you know, and then like, you know, people are like, oh, this is the sandpaper, this is the 220. You know, I might not be as quick to question you know, whereas like when I'm doing mm-hmm. stuff for myself, and, and I think there's something about the the, the sort of the, the amateur spirit of like all of us in our garage is like questioning and making mistakes, and and that can lead to some discovery and some like potential like creative things happening that wouldn't necessarily happen in a professional environment. You know, uh, like I've always said, I'm always trying to like find the thirteenth note when there's only twelve. You know, that's a pretty amateur thing, right? Because we know that there's twelve notes. There's no thirteenth but but if we have that amateur sort of mindset of like looking for it. You know what? What can maybe we can discover something? Let me let me tell you what amateur means, um, which you probably know this already, but just in case, amateur uh, the word itself is French and it means lover of things or something that you're intensely passionate about. So it's actually not an insult. It means that the thing that you are we are talking about is something you love so intensely, so so much that you focusing your time on it. And so I think it's a huge compliment to call someone an amateur because it means the thing that they're doing is something that they love and they're passionate about. Whereas when you're a professional, you may or may not love the thing that you're doing, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is a job and you're, you're doing it to make money. Right. And I'm not saying that you can't be passionate about something that you make money at because I'm intensely passionate about selling ERP. But I'm, it's not the same feeling as when I'm in the garage making things. I do that strictly because I love it. And, and the reason I started doing this in the first place is because I fell in love with it and I absolutely adore every minute that I get to be in there. And so it's a very different thing. And, and as you say, I think the risk reward is very different when you're doing something to feed your family versus doing something because you strictly love it and you're open to experimentation. You're open to seeing what can happen if you're a little bit more loosey-goosey about what the quote-unquote rules are of something. Mm. Um, and, so, and so like an example of risk reward – would I try a whole new way of doing something if it meant that I could potentially lose my entire day of production? Uh, I'll tell you right now, a uh, heck no. I'm going to continue doing it the way I know because it's guaranteed and because I need 
to continue feeding my family. Whereas if I was just making a table because I love making tables and I'm having fun, would I try something new? Absolutely. What do I have to lose? A little bit of my time? Sure. But I have the opportunity to learn something new or different or innovate or all that stuff. Hmm. And th that's just my opinion, by the way. These are not hard and fast rules. No, it's a, it's opportunity. I mean, <clears throat> being a professional doesn't, it can mean many things, right? If you work for a cabinet shop, you're a professional. You're inside of a cabinet shop. You're in a production type setting and things are set up to work a certain way. You are not afforded the opportunity to experiment with something. It's either going to work. You're, you're, you're slamming through, you're using a certain jig to get things done. You're putting these things, you're assembling these things as they go. It's an assembly line sort of process. Things work the way they work. And if something messes up, you have, you, you have the resources because you work in a cabinet shop to like, okay, throw, to put that door to the side, it's 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 a no go. It's no good, and you start up again. Where you have the opportunity in your shop in your garage, it's like, yeah, I'm going to make a set of cabinets for somebody. They commissioned it from me. I'm in the middle of doing something. I ran out of something. I'm an amateur, right? But I, I have the opportunity. Maybe I I don't have I don't have the hardware that I I ran out of something. I can make something. I can you know. You, there's so many things you can do and experiment. Uh, being an amateur that you can't in a professional setting. So I think that's, again, that's not... A, there's a, another, I think there's another component there also. One, of course, is that in your example, you work for somebody else and they have their processes that they've outlined and that say, you know, Bill, you were essentially a, you're a very important part of this existing process that we've set up and this is the way we would like for you to do it. Correct. And, and, and for you to sort of invent something new on the fly because you want to experiment is not really a freedom you're normally afforded. You may if you bring it up, but... I think right. I was really, I think we're really talking about is if like even if you're a business owner, right, and you decide you want to try something intentionally very new, that's your prerogative to do as a business owner. But you could be there's an opportunity cost, there's a risk associated with doing something like that because you could I lose agree your with, entire yeah, day of production. That's what I was saying. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. So being in a certain yeah. setting, you can't really afford to take these chances, these risks, try something new. Even if even if you're doing something, like, you know what, I bet you it would be easier to try it this way. That's not the time and the place to do that. You might go yeah. at the end of the day, you might say, hey, boss, I'd like to talk to you about something. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can set up yeah. a time and a place that reduces that risk. But at home, the amateur in his garage doesn't have to worry about it. Whether you're making yeah, a living sure. for yourself, uh, as Tim does, and in, in, you know, he's his own boss. Like you said, you still think of yourself as an amateur because you're not you're not in that machine shop type setting you're not you're not working for a, a production company with employees with with deadlines and stuff in that way but yeah. you still have the opportunity now it could be risky too you could try something new on one of your guitar builds that's a commission and screw it up and you basically got to scrap the entire thing i've done you know, it like, well, yeah but that's right. the that's the luxury of the way i've set up my business and the way i work is Correct. That, um, like i have i have two well one commission right now that that i i'm doing that I have no idea if it's going to work. I'm, I got some ideas for how to put together this acoustic guitar that I want to try, and I'm, a, mm -hmm. I'm like the, I've taken the guy's money, so I've got to make it work. So somehow I'll, I'll make it work, you know. But like the processes I'm doing, if I went up to like you know I went to like the Gibson Guitar Factory and said, well this is how I'm thinking about making this guitar. I'm going to do this. this. They'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like, get you're fired. Like get out of here. You know, <laughs> super fired. Yeah, like the, 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 we'll we'll mail you your stuff. Get out of our our shop. You know. But um, but because I work the way I work, and and again I have I have other 
you know, missions that I'm seeking. It's not just about necessarily making the best guitar or making the most profitable guitar. It's like I have all these, you know, environmental missions and these waste missions and, and you know, material missions that I'm on. So, so I'm, I mean, I feel very lucky. There's no doubt about it. But the, what I always think about, uh, you know, with this topic is that I can't remember. I don't even know if it's a true story, but it's just a story that's told about a blind piano player, a jazz player, you know, and, and he was, just, you know, blind and he was just learning to play by ear. And um, he would listen to records and copy them. And one day he was listening to, I think it was like a Tchaikovsky piece that was for two piano players for four hands. And he learned it because he didn't know he couldn't play it. And that's like sort of the joy mm. of being an amateur. Like anybody else that could have seen the record would have been like, oh, well, this is for two people. I can't do it by myself. But he didn't know. He just started playing. He goes, man, this guy's good. <laughs> you know, he's like, I got to <laughs> I gotta up my game. And he and he figures out a way to play this music like pretty, pretty darn close to, you know, to what's happening. And uh, you know, and it's just like wow, like that's that's the the, the the beauty of being an amateur, right? Is like there's no right, there's no rules, like there's no there's no one that says you can't. Right. Well, there's looser, like yeah, what you're allowed to do is for is more, uh, you know, you can you there's more room for experimentation, yeah, I think, yeah. a lot more. And I and I bring up the example of uh, you know even when I was doing woodworking for money, let's say, but it was always a side hustle. It's the Etsy thing, right? So. Mm-hmm. I would always try new ways of building a whiskey box just to keep things interesting for myself and to see if there was a better way to do it, to, to batch them out. But I'll tell you one thing. When when my back was up against the wall and I needed to get these things out, like I had an order for five or ten of these things and it was, you know, December 22nd and mm-hmm. these things had to be there for Christmas, I went back to my tried and true. There was no experimentation being done. There was, okay. We know how to do this. Let's get it out. But yeah, on a normal basis, if I got an order for one, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm gonna try half laps. Uh, maybe I'm gonna try. Uh, let's try rabbits. Yeah. Let's try a pin nailer. Let's you know, try uh, yeah. screws and and you know and, and plug covers. Let's try. You know, there was a million different things that I would try just to keep things interesting. But at the end of the day, when it was time to get these things out, yeah. there was no more playing around. Yeah. It was I kn- what I know. And that's well, it. Th- that's when Let's you're go. no longer the amateur at that point because you had 10 orders and it was December 22nd. That's the professional stepping and saying we got to finish these. Right. Yes, 100%. 100%. Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about in the past uh, limitations and sometimes the amateur hour is forced upon you because when you are working in a production type setting or you're working for a professional company or you have the, the resources that they do, again, I go back to that, you have the tools that you need. Sometimes in your shop you don't have all the tools you need mm-hmm. and you it's amateur hour man do what you do now safety please you know just relax your little uh just <laughs> relax yourselves uh but i i i will constantly take an angle grinder throw it in my vice and zip tie the, the thing on and use it in that way and that's because mm-hmm. i don't have a specific type of grinder or, or the tool that i need uh, you know Wait, but that's keep talking about what you're doing what what is it you're doing with that operation? Because now I'm interested. Uh, well, for example, um, uh, when I was making a, the giant ice pick, right? When, an easy way for me to sharpen that ice pick, or the, the end of it, was to clamp the angle grinder into a vise, turn it on, stick the big metal rod into my drill, and then mm-hmm. use that spinning on the grinder oh, yeah. to put a nice sharp okay. point on it. You're, what I'm saying you're far though, enough is that, away. You'll you'll be fine if it blows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. But without, I mean, there's another time I built a, uh, the big light table. Scott Turner told me I had to build something. And I cut this big aluminum light fixture on my table saw by ducking down. So if it flew off, it wouldn't hit me in the <laughs> head. Right? But, uh, but I mean, it's like you can try those things as an amateur. Or maybe you're forced to because I didn't have a, the, the 
type of saw that I could cut that with and get the straight line that I wanted. So there's these there's force also no limitations. Also, no OSHA in your garage. <laughs> so my question is to you guys: Have you guys have you found something that maybe you were forced to do, Phil, because your whiskey box is like, look, I do got to make ten of these things. I need to get these. Uh, was there anything that you can think of, either one of you, some kind of limitation, something that as an amateur you could do a process that you could do that maybe not wouldn't happen if you were in a shop that you had all the tools that you needed, whether it be a welder or a sander, whatever it might be. What did you come up with as an amateur to like get the job done? I'll hop in here real quick because I used I, a lot of the times the innovation, quote unquote, and the the way that I was able to speed up my processes was by buying new tools. So for example, when things weren't flush, right, I would say, you know what I really need? I need a stationary belt sander. So I'd buy a stationary belt sander because I thought that that was going to help me do things faster. Like it was going to help me flush up the lid and the box, for example, or an air nailer because I thought it was going to help me move faster by just being able to pin pin the box together and keep keep working. And sometimes that was true and it did help and sometimes it wasn't true and it didn't help, but it was part of, I guess, the the gear acquisition syndrome, and so that helped me. <laughs> that kind of stuff helped me build out my shop because it was justification for both me and my significant. You know, yes, Lauren, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks, but it's going to help me make these things faster. And so that was that was great justification. And sometimes it was true, and it did help me, and sometimes it didn't. But it was useful for. I mean, there's at no point in your woodworking career is a stationary sander not going to be useful. So it definitely was useful, but not specifically for speeding things up. So I didn't necessarily find an alternate way of doing something, but what it did do was open my eyes to buying a new tool that potentially would help me. Well, and, and it teaches you to be able to do that when the time comes, right? It's like the the the, yeah. the risk part of that is pretty low. It's like. This may not work out, but I'm sure certainly going to be able to use this tool again. So there's no real risk. There. Yeah, no question, for sure. And things like um, I used to um, for the hinges, I used to mortise them in, you know, with a chisel. Essentially, just I would do them by hand and hand mortise them. Um, and then and then I had a very generous uh, fan who essentially sent me a plunge router. Now the plunge router was genius for being able to do these mortises mm. because I would just you could put the depth the exact depth of the hinge into the depth stop and set it exactly and then it just steps down the exact right amount and uh, and that was beautiful I just had to finish up whatever by hand a, like a tiny little nothing of it um, so that definitely did help although I didn't spend any money on that but I, that was a great acquisition I mean a plunge router in a woodworking shop that's got to be a top five next level tool yeah. What about you, Tim? What has being a quote-unquote amateur afforded you to do that maybe you couldn't do if you were working for Gibson or at the chef, you Fender. know, whatever, you know, working for Gordon Ramsay or something like that? I mean, what, what again, what has uh, amateurishness afforded you? I mean, just about, just about everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like just my whole, my whole approach is just so uneducated, you know, and so unencumbered by the thought process <laughs> of um mm. you know of uh of just you know we got to write that down unencumbered by the uh, thought it's process it's not it's not an original yeah. thought it's um no unencumbered by convention i think would be the nicer way of saying i that. think it was i think it was a car talk guys who used to refer to to fixing cars but being unencumbered by the thought process <laughs> i think it was that's where i picked that up from and i liked it mm -hmm. um but uh not very nice yeah the uh you know just like 
some I remember like f- five or six years ago when I made this batch of guitars out of reclaimed wood and like I was there's all these things that I did I was like oh well who says I was using all these scraps of these pieces and stuff and I was like well who says the wood has to run vertical I'll run it the other you know the other way and and then of course you put the uh-huh. guitar and you realize like oh the string tension will actually cause it to snap you know <laughs> like like it, you know the, if the grain is going the wrong direction it was a loose grain the guitar starts to fold up on itself so then I'm like oh how do I strengthen it so I started rattering some slots in and putting some cross-directional wood to hold to make it stronger again until I get it strong. And I end up having like Eddie Van Halen looking guitar and it ends up being like this like really cool piece, you know? It's like, this is a really like mm. very unique. The wood's going the wrong way. It's got all these like crisscross, like, you know, reclaim mahogany stripes in it to hold it together. Um, you know, and it's, it, if I opened up a book on guitar and they said, you can't do the wood that way, I never would have made that, you know? And I have like, I mean, I have hundreds of stories like this of just where I, I basically just create my own problems and then solve them, you know, and uh, and that's the the true the true passion of of what I'm doing and what I love to do is just that I, I'm going to create a problem. I have to make a guitar. All I have are a bunch of hollow core doors. How can I do it and go, you know, and and make a guitar that works? Like, that's, but that's how you learn, right? Exactly. So, like, I go back to being ten years old and learning computers, right? Like I was super, I'm still very much into it, but I was very into computers at a time when being into computers was not a, a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I loved computers. And how did, when did I learn the most? When I broke something. Mm-hmm. And it was usually, a, and like there was no internet at the time to look things up, right? So if I was upgrading a, uh, a CPU and they didn't have these things like the little notches of which direction it was supposed to go back into the socket. You put it in, you power it on, you put it in the wrong one. That's a smoke show, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this thing's finished. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You the the calling it letting the the magic smoke out. Yep. Right. It was yeah. it was no good. So okay, now I got to spend two hundred dollars on a new four eighty six DX sixty six whatever processor, and I would take it in. And but that's how we learned. Yeah. I learned by making mistakes and and fixing them. And just doing that over and over again and iterating until I stopped making I, serious mistakes, only made small ones. I think we're getting at the crux of this here. So, like, if you get a job, say, like, you know, you want to you want to be a woodworker, so you go, you get a job in a cabinet shop, and and I always I have these stories of my cooking years like that. You know, there, there's going to be a way that they're going to do things, and they're going to teach you like this is how you do this, and this is how you do this. And and I wonder, and I don't think we have time to answer this, you know, in this week, but is it better to learn? By going into the shop and messing it up yourself, or to have someone that's already messed it up teach you to save you those mess ups. Which way is the better way to learn? I think. I think the better way, way you learn. Yeah. Well, to, to answer this question simply, yes, I think it's better to have somebody teach you by their mistakes because you are going to afford yourself so many mistakes I guess all that, by yourself. Right. It's going to save you those mistakes, and you can go create right, your own but, mistakes. But but knowing get that, faster. but knowing just knowing that that's one of the biggest lessons I ever learned was that you know what it's okay to make a mistake because look when I was when I first started doing this I screwed this up and it was okay so don't be afraid but now you know how to do this thing you don't have to make the same mistake I did but in the future I promise you again I made plenty of mistakes you know from just trying things that didn't work out so yeah I, I think it's better to learn from somebody you know I'm not saying that you can't go into a situation. Uh, as a as a as a quote unquote amateur and <laughs> you know make your own mistakes and everything, but if you have the opportunity to learn from somebody else, always take that opportunity every single time. I mean, I mean without question, you're a yeah. thousand percent right. But I'm going to ask both of you gentlemen this: How many people do you know in your life that only know how to learn the hard way? 
I know a few people like that. Yeah. My entire family, except for me, is like that. Well, now I would say it depends upon what it is, because when you have a, a when you have a knack for something, when you have a, a, a skill set that you've learned, certain things come easy to you and, you and you're able to figure things out. But, I, you know, you put anything in front of me that's computer related and I'm going to have to learn the hard way for the most for the most part. Right. I mean, it's I mean, even simple things, though, like I mean, like. Don't forget to pay your taxes on time, otherwise it's going to cost you big money. I'm not paying them, blah, blah, blah. Well, now you're just, this is an amateur hour, though. Those are just stupid people, right? (laughs) I mean, my brothers, yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, No, but sometimes people only learn the severity, how serious something is, by experiencing the fallout themselves. And my my father was the same way, but he would say things to me like, Phil, take care of your teeth because they're super important because they cost you a lot of money later on in life. Okay, makes sense to me. Learn that lesson. But then you look at my brothers and they're like, eh, what did dad know? Meanwhile, they're spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on teeth repair. Like, why couldn't you just listen to him? He gave you good advice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many levels to that, right? I mean, who do you choose to take advice from, right? Based upon experience. I'm not going to go to, there's some, there's some people that I've worked for. Well, there's members of my family like you that I don't care what advice they gave me. I don't care if they were, you know, the CEO of a, of a bank and they told me, look, save a penny every day. I am not saving a penny just because you told me to, because I know how much of an idiot you are. But there's also other people that's like, look, I, I'm not going to take advice uh, from accounting from Jimmy, right? But if Jimmy said to do anything as far as making is concerned, it's gospel. It's gospel. Right. And if your if your dad had a bunch of crowns and he's telling me how to brush my teeth, you know. Yeah, I might I but might then, listen. Yeah. Wouldn't you think the guy who made all those mistakes would have a good way around it? <laughs> well, you know what that's that's a, that's another one too, like the, the the woodworking the shop teacher missing the finger, you know, and he's telling you about safety right. and you're at twelve, you're like, Oh this guy is missing his pinky. He's gonna, what do you know? You know, it's like this is what I know. <laughs> He knows. Well, Stumpy knows, over here, yeah. he knows. <laughs> he knows, yeah. Anyways. All right, let's uh, um, wrap Great this topic. Up. This was a lot of fun. I like this yeah, one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Amateur podcasting. Yeah. Um, what um, What grabbed your attention? Let's go to Tim this time. Okay. What grabbed your attention? Okay. We, you know what? We do have a, a couple of reviews, but we're running kind of late. Why don't we oh. save them for next week? Because uh, they're pretty sure. good, and I want to give them Done. the attention they deserve. Yeah, they are actually really good. Yeah. Um, so what I'm into, I have two things. Uh, one is I wanted to mention on my wife and I watched this show called home. It's on Apple TV. And it's one of those, like, there's always those, t- those shows about houses. And I always kind of feel like that, like, you know, like the dream home and the crazy home. And they're always like, you won't believe this guy lives in an upside down turtle shell or whatever. And it's like, always like this kind of, you know, they're like, <laughs> they're just sort of silly. Or it's like, you know, like lifestyle. I won't believe that. Or it's like lifestyles of the rich and famous, where it's just a showing off their infinity pool that goes around the house and you know the million dollar refrigerator or whatever. But this show on Apple was really special. It's about people that are challenging the way we look at homes and what homes are, mm. um, and it was beautiful. Uh, and it was beautifully filmed, and it was more like documentaries about these people's lives and um, like the these these guys that were some of the first to three D print houses with three D printers that pour uh, you know mortar concrete. And stuff, and uh, and just the, the what what beautiful people they are. You know, this this woman that built these bamboo palaces, and uh, I think it was in Thailand, and like she's like, yeah, this entire house has been everything here was just grown in the past five years. You want to talk about sustainability? Use bamboo. Yeah. You know, and really yeah. really neat show. And then the other one I want to mention was um, 
a YouTube channel. This guy, he calls this channel Scar My Guitar. And I've been emailing back and forth on him a little bit. He's, he's um, a guitar builder. And he's got this really cool guitar bridge that he's developing of um it's basically like acoustic guitars tend to not be something you can intonate which is where you can like fine tune the strings by adjusting the length of them whereas electric guitars have these you know very fine tuned little pieces of metal that go up and down and back and forth and stuff and so he's been modifying uh experimenting with modifying acoustic guitar bridges to hold these metal saddles off of an electric guitar to make them as intonatable as electric guitars and it's very Mm. but uh, what i love about his video is he's like he kind of starts it off with what we're talking about right now. He's just like, he's just like, you know, sort of like, you know, what? Well, why? Why? You know, you, you can't do this. They say. You know, he's like, well, why not? Like, you know, he's like, why? Let, let's find out. Like, kind of just has that. You know, like I've I've made guitars before, and they tell me I can't do this, but you tell me I can't do it means I'm gonna try harder. You know, and that's right. kind of like the the spirit of the the garage you know maker the the you know that we are, and um so it's seems like a perfect week to talk about it i love Absolutely. it i love it what about you bill so i i've got a couple of things too um uh, one is mike montgomery uh modern mm-hmm. builds he is because you were talking about housing tim and and mm-hmm. uh different ways of living he bought a, a house in california of all places but it was only eighty thousand bucks and it's in joshua tree and it's this little house and it needs some love and so he's going to be spending however long that's that's his shtick now for his videos he turned um a plywood shed basically into his new workshop he just i mean the way he did it was so anyway uh also ben wet is out there uh you know he's the big learning how to live differently in different types of housing. He's very much into that. Jesse's out there working on a house. Uh, uh, Skull and Spade, uh, Brett McAfee's out there also. But but Mike's actually making these videos. He's documenting how he's going to fix up this house. And I find he just finished his shed shop makeover, and it's pretty cool. And then the other thing, I just got to say it. I've been watching it for years now. Um, I just love it. I don't care who doesn't. The Walking Dead. I'm. I'm. I can't <laughs> wait for the next episode to come out on season. I think ten. They're on now, and uh, hmm. I just. I love it. Got to love that it. Show ended. That show's still going on. It's not only going on, but it's got two new uh, offspring. So even when it ends, oh, they'll enough. carry the. They'll carry the uh, Fear of the Walking Dead and Walking Dead New World or something like that. Hmm. Huh. Good for you. I have a similar thing. I always have a challenge when I sort of like stop watching a show and then I go to pick it back up again. I always find it so challenging to do that because you have to get back into the mind frame of where you were and like where you left off exactly and what episode did I forget? And like and then you you pick off you pick up where you knew you left off, but it still doesn't have that same I don't know attraction or whatever. Anyway, so the show that I just recently picked back up again is called uh, Mr. Robot. I don't know if anybody saw it, but it's Oh, I watched the whole thing, dude. It's so you, amazing. I know. It's really good. So Mr. Robot is essentially a show about a hacker with multiple personality disorder. But I will tell you this, as somebody who's been in the space, the hacking they do in this show is real. Oh, I thought you meant the multiple real. personality disorder. That would have explained a lot, but go ahead. That would have been so I know. But the, the hacking is real. Everything they show you is real. The software they use is real. The techniques they use are real. Like, hmm. the, the things that they do are real. Like, anything that's in the show that you're seeing, they're like, no, it's not like CSI Miami where you got two people hacking on a keyboard together at the same time because right, they've right. got to defeat somebody else. <laughs> that's nonsense. Yeah. Everything in this is sick, and it's real. I'm like, oh, my God, wow. Did they just really show somebody how to do an exploit? That's insane. 
it's all real stuff. So it's it lends it like if you know your stuff about this stuff, I dig you're, that. you're very impressed by the writing, by the actual like hacker stuff that they do. It, it's so it's next level, and the story is incredible. It's just really really cool. I, I can tell you, Casey and I are not anywhere near knowing any of what you just said, but the show is so fantastic. The storyline, yeah, sure. the acting, uh, we're ready to do it again. That's how good it is. Yeah. We've watched the entirety of the series. We're ready to rewatch it again because it's just one of those shows. It's like, I can do that again. It's that good. Yeah, it's really good. It's Rami Malek and Christian Slater. So yep. Rami Malek is the one who played uh, uh, Freddie Mercury in the Queen movie. So oh, really? He just yeah. did oh, a movie awesome. with, uh, it was really good too, with yeah. Denzel Washington. He plays the detective, him and Denzel. Check that out. I just didn't look see it that. Up. What is that? that oh, that I new? forgot the title of it. It was super good though. It's got Denzel. Oh, it's it's going to be good no matter what. Yeah. So. yeah, of course. Yeah, because Denzel made a My bad man. movie ever, right? I mean, yeah. never. never. I don't think so. Never. I, don't, I checked. He yeah. didn't. Um, cool. Very cool. All right. I guess that's the whole thing. Our websites, williamlutes.com newperspectivesmusic.com guineapigtanks.com squiretools.com <laughs> and isotunes.com slash reclaimed audio contact us for those show topics those suggestions, that feedback we love hearing from you guys and don't forget to send us your tips either through email or via vo- uh, vo- voice note via email as well um, or you can hit us up on twitter at reclaimed audio those iTunes reviews, if they're 5 star we will read them out and of course, even if it's a week late. Yeah. Yeah, even if it's a week late. And patreon.com slash reclaimed audio um, really is the best way to support the podcast. Um, and, and before I sign off, I will say for a dollar an episode, you get access to the pre show, which is where we come up with the topics. It's actually really fun. It's a lot of, it's very less structured than the actual podcast. So it's really cool. And uh, for $10 an episode, you get your name read aloud um, with everybody else there at the top of the hour. So. Thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Be well. Bye, everybody. Be good.